0: Well, good morning. This, this morning we are continuing to look at James. Uh, so this week we're going to be in James chapter 3. Uh, we're going to look at James 3, verses 1 through 12. So listen as I read. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Able also to bridle the whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Whenever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member yet by hell for every kind of beast the bird the reptile the sea creatures can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no human being can tame the tongue it is a restless evil full of deadly poison with it we bless our lord father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of god From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers and sisters. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as always, we praise you and thank you for the gift of your word, and we just ask that you be with us as we look at these uh, verses of Scripture, and that you be among us and guide and lead us. And may all that is said be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we talk about taming the tongue, and probably many of you have heard it, and it's another one of those things that James talks about that makes sense, that we, we get, but it, it's not always so easy to do. And last week in chapter two, we were talking about how to care for and and to think about people of different um, standing and people with wealth and people who are poor and how how to care for one another and love one another. And so here it makes a transition, a shift into talking about taming our tongue. Now, one of the things it begins with this sentence, and, and sometimes it sounds like this sentence is kind of out of context. Uh, because he just starts off with, not many of you should be teachers, because we're going to have a stricter judgment. Almost sounding like, James, why did you throw that in there? I, you know, personally, seeing as I'm always teaching somebody something or or speaking. And yeah, James, could you have left that out? That would have been a good idea for me, maybe. But it seems out of context, but really, it it makes sense. Especially when you think about it from the perspective of the ancient world. But let's just think about it from today. He is illustrating the importance of what you say, what you share, and how important that is in, in the form of teaching. And it, think about it for, for you. If some, maybe a parent or a teacher in school or a Sunday school teacher, if somebody has taught you something and, and then later you find out that's just not true. Uh, they kind of made that up on the fly. They weren't sure what to say and it did what, what they taught you wasn't true. It, it's... It's sometimes kind of devastating, and it can be really frustrating. You know, I I can remember uh, times in in ministry realizing things that were said weren't true. Um, I I remember one thing that jumps out of my mind, and I won't say the names. And but when I was probably about fifteen, I went to a youth, you know, one of those youth rally kind of things with a speaker and the, and they you know spoke and it was real entertaining it was funny and he told his testimony it was a powerful thing and there was you know some music but it was really powerful and I remember listening and I remember a lot of people responding you know going down and, and, and praying And but I, I, I thought it was a powerful testimony and I thought he was a very entertaining speaker so I bought his book now reality is I didn't read his book um I really, uh, I got help with my dyslexia and ADD in a significant way, um, really during the end of my, my junior year in high school. So it wasn't until I was 17 that I really read too many books. But the summer after my junior year, I was 17, so it was a few years later, I remember I read the book. And it was a good book. I liked it. Uh, it elaborated on his testimony. And his testimony had been how he'd been far from God and, and drugs and even got into witchcraft and, and Satanism and all I mean, all this stuff. And it was, you know, kind of entertaining read. and But he, then he had a powerful conversion and it was a significant story. And I, I remember reading the book and really liking it. I kept the book. It was powerful for me. Um, then I, you know, I had ups and downs in my life and far from God and other kind of things. But uh, really it's not until I was... 2021 that i fully surrendered my life to jesus and god uh, reached me in a powerful way but the interesting thing is later on in my 30s I came across an article and it mentioned that guy and i stopped and read it and what the article talked about is somebody went back researched his life researched who he was and In college and in high school and it got exposed that not one word of his testimony was true the entire book was a lie what he got up and said at that rally was a lie. and I remember in my 30s just kind of was just devastated by that just thought well that is terrible and I remember reading the article thinking I hope none of those people who came down to the altar and you know gave their lives to Christ ever read this article that would be terrible it went on and you know he tried to cover it up for years but then it just kind of he had to admit it and was exposed and eventually and talked about the fact that you know what really happened was he was kind of you know shy and it didn't fit in but he was a Christian and loved Jesus and he you know kind of kind of tweaked his testimony a little bit and then got some response and just with friends and with people and kind of sharing and talking and it kind of got out of hand but then he became a, a good speaker and just one thing led to another and before long his testimony got a, a little more significant and got a little more tweaked and elaborated on and and a little harsher and got invited to come speak to youth groups and that kind of thing and it just kind of built until then he that was his job. He went around doing these youth rallies and speaking, and he got a book deal out of it, and was to write his testimony. By that point, he would added details, and it well, just kind of got out of hand. But that, that was devastating. I, I remember also um, early on in ministry, um, I actually, when I was in college, a friend from Campus Crusade gave me a cassette tape of uh, a well-known preacher he's not alive today he's written books I like his books like his stuff um so I'm not going to say his name so you turn on him or uh, but it was a cassette tape and I really liked it and it it spoke spoke to me when he gave it to me and later when I became a a preacher it was a illustration he gave on prayer that I just it was powerful and I was preaching a sermon on you know It was Matthew nine and the illustration worked and it came and it was just a powerful illustration in that in that sermon and it it just I I preached that for years and I always gave him credit because it was this powerful story that had happened to him and it gave all the details and I would share it and always gave him credit when I told it Um, but it was powerful. Well, it wasn't until years later. Probably again in my thirties, man, my mid thirties was a wake up call, I guess. My my thirties, somebody gave me a book of some, you know, sermon illustrations and sermon stuff from you know, some of it went back to the 1800s. And I remember looking up prayer in it, and there from eighteen fifty or something, I read, and there was that exact same story. And that preacher had changed the details updated it like it had happened to him, and, and changed the story. And I thought, oh my goodness, and it made me so mad. And I have never preached that illustration, and it's a good illustration, but I have never preached it since then. And it made me, made me frustrated and mad. But the thing is, when we find out something isn't true, it, it can be devastating. That's why he talks about teaching. and it is true. if you're going to stand up and teach, it, it needs to be significant. Because that was an important thing for James and James's world. It is for us today, but we live in a different world today. They, they were in an oral culture. Uh, understand, we didn't become a, a written culture. and when we become a written culture, uh, meaning writing and writing stuff, that doesn't happen for us in the Western world until the printing press. That's the 1500s. So the majority of human history has been oral culture. And understand, when we get written culture, it changes the way we think. Culture over time changes how how we even process information. Because you could sit in a room, write a book, send it out to everybody, and they could read and examine your ideas and question them and put them out. Well, oral culture, it's completely different. Oral culture words have even more significant power. And, and sometimes it's hard for us to even think about oral culture, but even every, most every book of the New, even New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, but especially even the New Testament, it was all oral first. Even the letters that James is writing right here, and all the letters of Paul, you you read about Paul you know he'll usually write something to a church and send it with somebody well to deliver it well we have a tendency to think about it. it's like the mailman delivering a letter and you know all you people need to read this no 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 in the ancient world whoever was sent was also to be the person to read it they were probably the scribe who wrote it down they were probably the one who was supposed to read it orally to to preach it to preach the letter because they knew what Paul meant because, see, ancient Koine Greek is not easy to read. I mean, you think about trying to read a book where all the words run together and they're all in capital letters and there's no punctuation and there, there's no space between the words. Well, it would be tough to read in English. Well, Greek, it, it would be even harder to where everything was oral first. It's Paul would have said it to someone, they would have written it down, and they would have known what he meant to say and would have been able to share it that way. To where my point being is words, when he says, be careful if you're a teacher, because they have the struggle of false teachers and false. I mean, somebody could teach something wrong, and it could go on for generations as a lie. I mean, It was even more important, and it's a powerful illustration that Paul starts off with. I mean, that James starts off with here is: be careful if you're a teacher. We all know that. They all knew that. Rabbis were—you had one. You could start teaching your own opinion and and bend up a false teacher, or that was the other horrible thing that happened if your teaching didn't match your life. And that was a horrible thing in the ancient world. That was, you know, philosophers talk about that and the rabbis would talk about that. And Your, your life and, and what you say not, not lining up as a teacher can be devastating. But that means because that would lead to false teaching that would go on for generations and be changed and be wrong. I mean, we even know now. It's fairly recent in history that we've learned. You know, most of the history we get from like Julius Caesar, who had plenty of stuff written down, it's not quite right. He kind of elaborated on things to make himself look good. I mean, history is usually written by the winners, to where we've even learned that sometimes things we've believed for years may not be right. That's what James is saying here. He's reminding. Be wary if you're going to be, because there were false teachers that that was a problem. Be wary if if you're going to be a teacher, because words matter so much, you'll have a stricter judgment. But the truth is, all of us are teachers at different moments. Maybe you've taught a child something. Maybe you've tried to explain your opinion or a story of yours to someone else. You're trying to teach them something. And, and the truth is exactly what James says. It's a powerful sentence. He says, no, you we'll be teachers, that be, because he says, we all make mistakes. We will all get it wrong at times. Now, the truth is, all of us, in trying to teach something to someone else, there have been times that we get it wrong. We say something wrong. Maybe we elaborate on the story. Maybe you know the fish wasn't quite as big as we say that it was, or maybe something because you know all of that can often be traced back to pride. He talks about it being a fire and leading to you know, great. We're trying to come up with great things. Really, what he's talking about is pride. We want to sound better than someone else. We want to tweak it better. Our opinion has dominated the, the truth of the story or the truth of the text or the truth of what we're teaching. Well, we want to get our, our opinion across. In today's world, we can know where that leads to false news and not trusting anything that's said. It's actually a very applicable, important illustration and says, be careful what you say. There will be a stricter judgment. Because you, you can mess up a whole lot of people. That's the importance of words. But he also says, because we can all get it wrong. I mean, sometimes I'll go back and look at sermons I preached years ago and think, oh gosh, I didn't really, I didn't really have that text right. Thank you, God, for putting up with me. And you still used it in people's lives, and maybe they didn't hear some of the stuff I said wrong. One time I preached a sermon. I was in seminary and I was pastoring the church in Atlanta and I preached a whole sermon about Mary and Martha and I got them backwards. I kept calling Mary Martha and Martha Mary. And if you know that story and you get them backwards, it really doesn't make any sense. And to where people at the end were like, we think that was a good sermon, but we think you may have gotten, I mean, there was even people reluctant to tell me, I think you may have gotten them a little backwards. I think, you know, it, it just, in in the moment, I I messed up and some it Got switched around in my head and came out my mouth wrong. We've all messed up on that. Now one of the things that James, along with the rest of the entire Bible, does not let us get away with, is saying, "Well, we just mess up. Might as well just not worry about it. We're all going to mess up." Because he says, "If you if you've if you've tamed the tongue, if if you say everything accurately, your whole body, your you're, I mean, you're in." You're in the realm of perfection here. And James talks about a perfection, but it's not a perfection that we're not supposed to be moving towards. Even Paul in his letters talks about, you know, none are righteous, not even one. And then he goes on to say, and some of you say, well, when we sin, we experience the grace of God. So if we sin more, we experience more of the grace of God. So let's just sin with wild abandon. And Paul says, you can't do that. Jesus talks against that. John talks against that in his letters and saying, if you say you're without sin, you are a liar and you make God a liar. I mean, those are harsh words. But then he goes on to say, but if you continue in sin, if you continually choose sin, if your plans for the day are including sin that you're going to commit, don't think you can abide in Christ and continue in that. It's what James, when he mentions perfection, it's this maturity that we are always to be growing. As Methodists in the Wesleyan movement, we we, John Wesley talked about Christian perfection. We talk about it a lot. That It's that God is always changing us and showing us what needs to be dealt with, and it's out of God's grace. We fail along the way, and when we do, we, we can repent and surrender, and God can work with us, but God is always changing us. Moving us towards that perfection, but he says we all get it wrong sometimes. It's not an excuse. We all will tweak the story. We all will misunderstand. We all will sometimes elaborate, and at it, it, it its core, it's pride. Usually, and pride, just to let you know, is the ultimate sin God says he hates it it's our pride that's caused so much devastation it's pride I was reading this week and what C.S. Lewis writes about pride and mere Christianity and you know pride is that that thing that we we detest in other people but we so rarely see in ourselves But it is the final frontier, it's the ultimate, and it was the sin of Satan that led to the fall. It is pride that makes us cover up with silly stories and lies and, and words. So he says that about teaching as a way of illustrating the importance of what you say, especially in an oral culture, but it is true today. Words that idea that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is one of the biggest lies that have ever been stated by anybody. Words can devastate, which is what he goes on to talk about. and talks about like a fire, you know, that a, a, a just a small ember can set a whole forest ablaze, and that is true. One little piece of gossip, one little story, one, one wrong motive, just like me for years preaching an illustration that, God had said was his, and it really wasn't. And it, but it, it can just cause devastation. False information can lead to death and war and hatred of other people. I, I remember you know, whenever I think about that of the the power of of words and their significance. You know, there is. Uh, that jump out of me but one is i remember when i was uh my senior year and you know when you're when you're signing in annuals signing other people's annuals and sometimes i joke about what people put in my annual they're like you know maybe you should hope you don't end up in prison and stuff like that but you know as you signed other people's annuals you you read what people wrote and i remember this one person and A couple of times in their annual, their senior annual, there was this title, this name that they were often called. And it didn't sound horrible on on the surface, but when you ask where did that name come from, it it was a terrible derogatory story and a really derogatory name. And it it was a horrible story that was told that went with that name. But that name was used in their senior annual. What bothered me is that I remember in seventh grade health class, the person sitting in front of me was the guy who made up that story about that person. Thought it would be funny. And I remember he made it up, said it about that person, called them the name, and other people laughed, and they were like, that's, that person was like, that's not true, <laughs> that's not true, and it didn't matter if it laughed and was funny. And I knew, I know, that's a lie. It was a made-up story. But that name and that story has followed that person all the way to their senior year. And the truth is, if I put that name on my Facebook page, everybody from my high school would know who I was talking about. And all of us are in our 40s. That name is still out there. That words can destroy they can destroy people they can also destroy us the words we take in the words we let happen what we say this idea it talks here you, you, you can't you know talk out of both sides of your mouth that you know on sunday singing praises to god and then with the same mouth telling horrible jokes or saying terrible things or saying horrible things about other people during the week doesn't cut it that needs to stop is what James says we're all tempted with that I can remember you know somebody pulling out of me in traffic and you know you fool you idiot things come out of my mouth and if you listen to the Holy Spirit usually the Holy Spirit generally reminds me you remember what God said about calling somebody a fool fires of hell go with that you know how about let's repent of that be careful of your words When I think about, I think about, I guess I'm thinking about high school here, right now, because I think about when I was in high school too. You know, I loved rock music, heavy metal music. I liked all kinds of music, but I listened uh, to Iron Maiden, uh, the the band, heavy metal band, Iron Maiden. And I remember my mother, my my parents saying, you know, that's garbage. Listen to what they're saying; it's garbage. And my answer was always. I don't listen to it for the words. I like the music. I like the guitar playing. I, I played guitar and I liked to listen to the guitar and I liked it. But the truth is, to this day, I can still quote the words of Iron Maiden's Two Minutes to Midnight. And the words to that song are horrible. And the message to it is, is terrible. Did they get in? We think it's not having an effect, and they can destroy us. The words that we say about someone else, the words that we hear about ourselves, the devastation that can cause, that we we so often operate out of false assumptions. We talked about that some. Last week, because we're left with this, okay, this significance of these words, and you need to you need to want to deal with it violently. You need to want to change that, to be aware of what you say, but you're wondering, well, now what do we do? Well, that's the thing. It's all meant to be read in one sitting because James has already said what you do in chapter one. Remember when we talked about be quick to listen, slow to speak and even slower to get angry. Quick to listen, to listen to God, that prompting of the Spirit saying, yeah, Chuck, that was out of pride. You tweaked that story. Chuck, you elaborated on that. Chuck, you shouldn't have said Chuck. You don't call somebody else a fool. The the Holy Spirit is very gentle and will come in, but will usually speak to us, sometimes through our conscience, sometimes through the word, sometimes through someone else, but to be aware and listen to God first. Listen to, to one another. But listen to the other person. Really listen, listen to where they're coming from, listen to what their story, what's being gone, because usually, this was true of what we said last week about people from different stages in life, different cultural backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds. We will make assumptions. Now. Which, which one of us has not experienced this? Now, as adults, we all like to pretend we don't still have this problem, and we just it's something that only children experience. But if you walk into a room, or walk up to a group of people, and they all start laughing, what generally is the first thing that pops in your head? It is that they're laughing at me. Well, truth is, and the social psychological data from studies that have been done and things, majority of the time, that is not true. That's an assumption your brain makes out of protection and your own stuff and your own, and you want to protect yourself, and you will make an assumption that they're the enemy or a comparer, or that they're laughing at you or they've done something to you. We will we'll assume things. We'll assume things about other people and what they said and what they meant when they may have said a word wrong or have a, have a different motive or something we don't understand. We'll make an assumption. The antidote to that is listening. To really listen, to listen first, to seek to understand. And again, to be slow to speak. Wait. Words have power. They can set, they they an ember of a good word of the gospel can be had the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit involved. That's the Pentecostal idea of tongues. No, no one tongues of fire that came on the disciples. No one was going to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ if people didn't say it and speak it. The fire of God's presence in good words can set a. Whole whole forest ablaze can change the world in positive ways. But the same is true of negative words. The spark of something negative or wrong or a lie or can devastate and you can't undo it. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak and even slower to get angry. Be intentional about words and be aware of what we say because it does come from our hearts. And Remember the whole goal of James is when we get intention or pressure or trials that the joy, we have the joy and know the joy of it. One of the things he's saying here is you know where joy comes from is the freedom that comes with your words and your actions lining up. Your faith and your works. And when they don't, you can confess it. You can be vulnerable about it. You can be honest about it. You can grow in it. But understanding that's the target. We're not trying to compete. We're not trying to make false assumptions. We're not trying to outdo anybody. It is just being real. Because the truth is, in all of our attempts to cover up even some of the stories we share and talk about of you know, from the David and Bathsheba we talked about a few weeks ago, and the story of Peter denial and the, the rooster crowing, so much of that stuff that makes us think about our own stint, it wouldn't be in the Bible if they didn't tell the story. And in telling that story, the underlying theme was the grace of God that met, met them in their weakness and continued to use them and Christ died for that may the grace that he offers us and the power of the holy spirit make us aware of our words and make us want to surrender them each and every one to god because it makes a difference let us pray dear lord we praise you and thank you for the gift of your word Your spoken word that written down here, the words that we read in scripture, but most of all your heart, your mind, your your communication, your words to us that became tangible and alive in Christ. To show us your heart, where you died for our false motives and our pride and our lies. Failures, You bore them on a cross for us so that we can be set free. We can be vulnerable, honest with one another and listen and hear and move towards your righteousness and perfection in the pathway of your grace. May we just respond and move towards you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.